Claire, and you're listening to the Mother Love Podcast, a show where we talk about the journey of parenting. This is a space where guests open their hearts, gather their courage, and tell the truth about what it means to care for these messy and delightful little ones in today's big, wide, and often overwhelming world. We talk about the pressures, the steep learning curves, and the bittersweet reality of watching our children grow. Parenting asks us to be willing to feel it all, celebration and grief, joy and anguish, fear and courage. So take a breath, let these stories wash over you, and show yourself a little love. Hey, Mother Love listeners. This is Amy Stefarm, and I'm here with the usual awesome host, Claire. Hey! And I wanted to just do, we, we wanted to do this little just a little segment real quick about Thanksgiving, since this next episode that we'll be hearing is going to be airing on Thanksgiving. We thought it was just a good time to just share some thoughts around it. Part of my job as the Native American Initiatives Program Manager here at HMHB um, is helping educate mostly providers about the real truth of American Indian history. So for those of you who aren't aware, I provide cultural safety trainings for perinatal providers that are serving indigenous families. That was that that's a big part of my job here. So I use curriculum from the Office of Public Instructions, Indian Education for All. And it's a really, really good resource in general. But I, I use a lot of that for kind of filling in these these gaps, I guess, in history and policies and how they continue to impact Indigenous families, Indigenous people today. So me and Claire were just having a conversation about releasing for these Native Initiative series and one of them coming out on Thanksgiving and it maybe being a good time to just talk about kind of this change or evolution in our understanding of Thanksgiving. Part of it is that there there's a lot of great progress, I feel like, in this area to be like, you know, it's not the story that I learned in grade school of it being like, you know, the pilgrims inviting the Indians because the Indians, you know, gracious hosts or whatever. And it was a way to give thanks and this like kind of wonderful, great relationship meal happening. But now it's kind of been debunked or or more seen as like a myth and, and like fantasy, not real. And so this came up because I was having a conversation with my kiddos about Thanksgiving. And we also just want to acknowledge that, you know, this is not this is not like anybody's fault for not understanding this. Like this, this is another systemic educational issue that you know, we probably should be taught a lot earlier on, you know, when I when I talk to providers about a lot of the federal Indian policies, you know, they don't know that. And, and you know, they probably should have gotten it medical school when working with tribal people or even even earlier on, like in, in grade school, high school, at least a little bit more context. And so I was talking about this with with my kids, because sometimes there's this 
like they glorify some of these people who have done really bad things to Native American people. So we were talking. Oh, and one thing before we go further too, like just in general, like the holidays are really, really hard for moms in particular being, you know, me and Claire are both moms and, and it's a lot of work, whether, you know, the emotional work, but especially the invisible work. So it's kind of hard in general to kind of look at the truth of these holidays and to get into these kind of hard, difficult conversations because there's so much like glorification and, and putting it on a pedestal. You know, it's this like bright, cheery time with family. And also there's already a lot of work happening. So taking the time to educate yourself is, is a big ask. But luckily, that's just kind of way the things have been going as far as people willing to look more into this and, and learn the truth. Yeah. So, and I'll chime in really quick, Amy, before you go on, just because I think one of the other things that you and I were talking about that is so relatable about all of this is like part of parenthood and part of motherhood is this clashing and like, I guess, a, a collision of fantasy and reality. And it begins for me, it began like the second I got pregnant, like, you know, all of my pregnancy was a fantasy, really, about what my life as a mom would be like. And then my children were born and I had to reconcile that fantasy versus reality. And I think when we were talking like that applies to the holidays too, a lot, you know, we all have this fantasy of what Thanksgiving is supposed to be. And it's not only in our own minds, because like, I want it to be like that. Like, I want to like gather with my family and have it be perfect and have there be no weird tension that has built up over <laughs> decades, you know, like I would love that, but it isn't real. It doesn't happen, at least not in my family, unless everyone is like drunk and pretending, which is also not super healthy, you know? And so it's the same with this. Like we have, we have tasks at hand as parents that have to do with reality and, and sharing that with our children. And when we as children weren't given that when we were just handed the fantasy version, it feels very, very challenging to be tasked to do that, especially on a day or about a day that's supposed to be all about relaxation and abundance and gratitude. And so I think that's a huge part of it. And I think it takes a lot of courage and it takes that extra energy you were talking about to be real with our kids in a time that people don't want to look at the truth. So I think just like mom to mom level, you know, we were talking about that, what that's like to have to deal with that discrepancy. Right. Yeah, that's so true. I think the first, like, one of the big reconciles, too, of, like, that fantasy is, like, my oldest first birthday party of, like, all of the stuff I yes. made myself do for that. Like, just, I think, like, a photo op. And I was probably, like, a sweating mess because I was running <laughs> around all over, like, trying to make it perfect. And um, I, of course, will never remember her first birthday, but I probably will. I do. Rem- what I remember the most is, like, how much work I ended yes. up doing because I wanted to do, like, everything DIY and it was uh, it was a lot of work so that was the first time for me too not including pregnancy and like just motherhood in general of like oh wow this is not what I thought yeah we want the life to be this these series of like photo ops because that's Mm -hmm. a lot of times that's what we're that's what we've seen and it's not yeah moments or something yeah yeah so anyway carry on (laughs) 
Yeah, no, and this really, I've been really thinking about it this year, even though I've spent like the last few years developing this toolkit for providers that help educate people on these, these policies and history of, you know, of removing American Indian or indigenous people from their land, taking their land away, trying to assimilate indigenous people by sending children to boarding schools, and even like policies that had to happen because too many American Indian children were being unjustly removed from their families and placed into white families. And then even like reproductive policies that were like sterilizing women into the 70s and 80s and, you know, where there's a lot of data that's missing on that. So there's just like so many things that I've been able to teach other people about. But even I didn't really realize until just like a week or two ago, I've been reading this book by Caitlin Curtis. It's called Living Resistance, and she's an indigenous author. And she has a part in there about Thanksgiving specifically. And I felt like even though I've been doing these trainings all year and whatnot and really living and breathing this cultural safety toolkit, like when she started talking about Thanksgiving, I was like, wow, like it blew my mind. And um, that's kind of how we started talking about it, Claire, and how I started talking about it with my kiddos. And so we just thought it'd be a good piece to share with our listeners um, before we get into the next episode. Um, So just for context, my oldest is nine and my youngest is seven. I have two girls. Um, And around this time of year, it actually kind of starts with uh, Indigenous Peoples Day or like what used to be known as Columbus Day. I always kind of start asking, like, what are what are you what are you hearing about this day? Like, what are people saying? So far, it's been pretty good. You know, no one has really they haven't been talking about like pilgrims and Indians and stuff. So that that was good to me. And and I was happy to hear that, that, that it wasn't like this, you know that fantasy land kind of story, fairy tale, I guess. And so part of Caitlin Curtis's book, she kind of gives this shorter explanation or or really tangible ways to decolonize or indigenize this holiday. So the first part of that is like being truthful and telling the truth. And she references a really great website, Potawatomi.org. They kind of tell, because they're, they're supposedly this tribe that had that first meal with the pilgrim. So they created this website to, to help with the truth. And um, she talks about it. She talks about how the U.S. holiday was created by Abraham Lincoln in 1863 during the Civil War in an effort to really improve relationships between the North and the South and also tribal relations because, and this is something that I had heard about, something that I learned about in recent years, like during my PhD program. So if you haven't heard about this, like no judgment, but it happened the year prior and I hadn't really connected it with Thanksgiving and about tribal relations. But the year prior was the Dakota War of 1862. And this is what I was talking about with my girls because, um, you know, Abraham Lincoln created this holiday and he's known as Honest Abe and there's all of this glorification. And so I had to be the one to tell them, well, Abraham Lincoln wasn't really very nice to Native people. And I talked about the Dakota War because that's it was a time and you can learn more about it on on the the website. Um, But it was a time when basically a lot 
in Minnesota where um, Native uh, families and children were starving. There were there was food. There was food within the reservation, but it was being stored and hoarded by whoever the the government hired to work there to like supervise the natives. It was just a really the food was there, but they wouldn't let them have it. And so a war broke out and the, the native people resisted and they they fought so that their, that their people were dying from starvation. And because of that incident to, I guess, teach people a lesson, um, Abraham Lincoln ordered the execution of 38 Dakota men. And there's like a documentary about this, like the Dakota 38. You could watch it on YouTube. I watched it like maybe 10 years ago. And it was, yeah, I I sometimes would watch that if I needed a good ugly cry. But it's a really, it's powerful. It talks about like reconciliation and all of that. I recommend it. People are interested. But just having to tell my girls about that, you know, it's kind of hard because I remember a while ago, like two years ago, thinking my oldest would be ready to hear about like Dr. Seuss. It was like Dr. Seuss week or or something. And the year before they had celebrated it in school, but they weren't this year. And there was a bunch of stuff coming out about a few of Dr. Seuss's books being racist. And so I didn't, I just assumed (laughs) she was ready. And I, and I kind of told her, well, Dr. Seuss was, had books that were racist that are about like people, you know, not liking people just because they're different or because of their color of their skin. I remember she just like burst out into tears and she was like, I think you should have waited until I was older before you told me that. So like having this conversation like brings me like kind of like that, I don't know, PTSD of like that guilt that I had. And um, so I was kind of unsure of like what all to share, but I just kind of kept the gory details and I had the audiobook, And so we kind of listened to this, this, this small short brief chapter of Caitlin Curtis's and it made it, you know, it made it easier to be a discussion versus me lecturing. Um, we kind of, you know, got to talk about it a little bit, but what, what kind of blew my mind is like, there is this shift of it being like, Oh yeah, this is like, let's acknowledge, you know, it's during native American heritage month where we're supposed to be learning about native American. Americans and acknowledging, you know, the past. But I feel like that a lot of times just get wrapped up into like a big old thing, like, oh yeah, and a lot of bad things happening. And when we're not talking about the specific details, it just becomes like easier to dismiss or, you know, kind of gets, becomes a fantasy too, in a way. So I really liked how Caitlin Curtis, like, or well, how Potawatomi.org, like, really points it back to, hey, like, this Dakota War happened right before this holiday was made official for the United States. Right. So I, I appreciated that. Yeah. And in that way, too, it's so, it's like, I don't know, it's, it's even harder because of the starvation piece, right? Because of actually, like when we think of Thanksgiving, we think of overeating and we think of having so much food that like we have leftovers for a week and, you know, like all these, this overabundance and then thinking about like that, that's how this all started was like people being cut off from their food supply is an even another element of just like kind of how messed up 
that is like you know and even in us talking about this like it is it's heartbreaking it's heartbreaking that that happened it's heartbreaking that I'm just now learning that like there's so many pieces that are hard but it also is like okay but once you know the truth you know the truth and then like what do we celebrate with our families so like will you tell us kind of like specifically what that looks like in your house and I get to come this year which I'm so so excited about Yes, exactly. So Caitlin Curtis in her book, Living Resistance, she does kind of give a lot of other ways that you can indigenize the holiday or decolonize. So something that we're going to do, and this I think is really helpful because it was part of me like that makes it just easier for me to do it because we are having people over. We are, we're, we're hosting some friends and that's exciting. And I just like, Claire, I mean, I mean, I know you would do it, you know, but I I just don't want to have to like make everybody do what me and my kids are going to do. So something that me and Daniel talked about doing was just, you know, like in in the morning before like our company or whoever comes and that way, like say we were going to my parents' house or my brother's or, you know, I wouldn't have to make anybody else do this. Like this is just totally what we're going to do like before or while we're getting our, our food and everything ready. But we probably will talk about, you know, a little bit about the holiday, like the the basics, right? Like who made it and, you know, why it's a little, why it's controversial. But what a recommendation that Caitlin Curtis gives is like really in emphasizing that gratitude and emphasizing that it should happen every single day, not just saving yes. your gratitude for one day. Um, so in the book, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, she actually has the real Haudenosaunee Thanksgiving address, which is like super duper long, but I have that book. I read it. And I want to, I want us to all read that together, like take turns reading different passages because they go through, you know, it's not just the food you're grateful for, but it's everything like from an indigenous perspective too, like the rocks, the air, like all of that. So um, emphasizing that. And then this is also another suggestion from the book is writing a letter to the earth, like to mother earth, to give thanks, um, to say, you know, to just say why, we appreciate her and all that she does for us. There's also something that I'm still debating on. I don't know how long this is all going to take. This is literally my first year, like being really intentional about this, but I might, there's, it's not for this, but part of that book is another suggestion. Kind of like, a, it's almost like a meditation, if you will, of like writing a letter to your ancestors and just seeing where that goes. And, and it's kind of more of like a journal exercise or, or whatever, but we might do something like that. But I think I'd just be happy with doing, reading the Thanksgiving address together, taking turns doing that, and then having each of us write a letter to Mother Earth. That's how and then, you know, then people are going to come over and we're going to just, you know, just be grateful for the time we're going to spend together and just having yeah. a home and being in Helena and being settled now. And I am really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that because it is like when something is hard, I know I as a person tend to just want to shut down and be like, well, then I'm not doing it. I'm not doing Thanksgiving then because like that's too crappy and like sad and so you know and like that's not the point either right that's never the point either it's like okay now we know this so what are we going to do and I love mm-hmm. that because it, yeah 
for a lot of reasons, but that's helpful, I think. Yeah. And that's the best thing is that there are resources out there. You know, Caitlin Curtis, you can find her. She's written two books, two books that I know of, Native and Living Resistance, and she's on Instagram. But there are lots of other Indigenous folks to learn from around this time that, you know, you could do that pretty Mm -hmm. easily. You can look online and, and, find out, you know, based on who you're going to be around, or even if it's yourself, like the level of truth that you are, um, that you're willing to learn or able to learn. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, the encouragement for anyone who's listening to really do that because it does help with the specificity. And when there are details, like you said, it, brings it from an abstract understanding to a real understanding. And, um, and that's important to do in learning because other, we do have so much in our brains every day that we are able to file things away as less important because they don't apply to us. And like this should apply to all of us, you know? And so I think, I think, uh, the deeper the understanding of of truth and hardship is also an opportunity to have more gratitude and more appreciation for a lot of things. You know, it's that bittersweet thing. Right. And it's also like a good opportunity too to not like feel like you have to do too much. Like you don't need to go into the, like, make sure we're staying away from entering this work in a form of like saviorism or um, appropriating native culture. You know, there's definitely these like, hard lines um that um those are other great things that people can learn about during this time but it's just kind of it's great that we're talking about this because really at an individual you know nuclear family level of like something we can do but the episode that we're prefacing is really about building as an organization or in your work building true authentic relationships with indigenous communities um to be in partnership with them in their goals for like maternal health and whatnot so i think this was actually a really good time to talk about it in the next episode we're going to learn actually have an indigenous elder on who was a part of the project and it's just a really great time to thinking about you know authentic relationships and truth yeah love it okay well thanks amy and i know both of us are excited for y'all to enjoy this episode and amy's kind of the main host on this one so it's super it's been super fun for me to listen and just be able to have her come on and take the mic and do her thing so Yeah. And oh, one more thing I want to say is we will list all the resources that Amy mentioned in case you're like driving or cleaning or something and you don't have your hands available. We'll list all the resources, you know, so that you can go back and reference them. Like we said, don't try to do all of this the morning of Thanksgiving. There's a lot that Amy has shared, but definitely anytime Amy shares resources, I find it valuable to take note and, and remember that I can go back in pieces and continue to deepen my understanding understanding so they are there if you're listening to this they are there go and click on them yes check them out happy to share happy to help and like i always say you know this is i get to do this i get to help with this um, and i'm happy to share so thanks thanks for letting me co-host with you yay 
Hi, Mother Love listeners. I am back for our second episode in our Native American Heritage series. And I'm here with my buddy Amy again, Dr. Amy Stiffarm. And if you haven't met Amy before in previous episodes, I will have her just do a little brief snapshot of who she is, how we know each other, how she knows these two lovely ladies who've joined us today. And then I'm going to do like an actual pass on over the mic to Amy today. And she's going to be our main guide through this conversation. So hello, Amy. And hello, Margaret Ann and Mary Ellen. Hi. Thanks, Claire. Yeah, for the listeners that don't know, I am, I'm going to say Dr. Amy Stefarm because Mary Ellen's on (laughs) She always makes me say doctor, so Dr. Amy Stefarm. I am Ani, enrolled at the Fort Belknap Indian community, and I'm a descendant of the Chippewa Cree and Blackfeet tribes, and I am the Native American Initiatives Program Manager at HMHB, and I'm really excited to co-host TakeOver this month to highlight some of the work that's being done across Indian country. So I wanted to talk to my buddies, Margaret Ann and Mary Ellen, to talk about some work we did over the summer and and this really, really cool initiative. So I will go ahead and pass the mic over to you to introduce yourselves. My name is Mary Ellen LaFromboise. We're coming to you from beautiful downtown Star School, which is a ways out of Browning, about nine, ten miles. I was fortunate to be able to participate with this special thing that happened in June. Is it in June? Oh, in August. I'm sorry. I'm better at other things besides <laughs> times and dates. I guess the what I would say about myself more than anything is I've always worked around healthcare or health Uh, programs, whatever you want to call it. Worked at the hospital here in Browning for about 20-some years in a variety of capacities. I worked with a community health representative program, which is uh, available on all the, with all the tribes in Montana. Uh, Has been a program, vital program in healthcare since the 70s under self-determination, which is an instrument that in, uh, Indian tribes have used for a long time to, to gain more control and be able to run their own healthcare systems and have been really successful with that in a variety of ways. So I've always been kind of in with, with some sort of health, health initiatives, if you will. So it was really exciting to be part of this, I don't know what to call it. Life Blessings. No, but I mean, is it a training, a retreat? It was. A, it's a whole lot of things. It's self care. It's self awareness. It's boy, you could just call it a whole lot of things. A learning experience. We'll, we'll say that a learning experience because I'm sure that we all learned something from the the time that we spent together. So that's kind of a little bit about me. I. Went to Missoula, graduated from Missoula, U of M in 75. That was at a time when a lot of natives were just 
trying out college and, and had access and opportunity more than any other time, probably in a long, long time. It was kind of the first wave of a lot of educated Blackfeet getting their degrees and coming back. And they tended to be social workers, which I am, and teachers. Not so much in the professions of healthcare necessarily. So it's it's interesting that now our state has any number of nursing programs that are affiliated with tribes. But then we have uh, two tribes, Blackfeet Community College and Salish Kootenai College, have viable nursing programs, which has been a, a kind of a springboard for other kinds of health professions. That's why, I, to me, it's important for Amy to, to introduce herself as Dr. Amy Stiffarm. That's an achievement that, uh, you know, a few years back, we had very few doctors of anything. <laughs> now we have doctors in, in a whole range of fields, medical doctors, and it's just been something that our, our people have really strived to be become. So, um, yeah, it's good. I'm I'm proud of her, and we have we have more Blackfeet doctors, but only one right now is actually you know working in our facility. But we also have a doctor working in the tribal program too, so that helps. Mm. So that's kind of me. Just um, yeah. Being able to- Thank you. Thanks, Mary Ellen. And yes, I I hear you. I I need to. I think I just get. I don't know, like, feel like I need to be humble or something, but I hear you though. I really do hear you. And hey, I let me just let me just share this one thing with you since you bring that up. When you hear about our people and you think back about all the old people you know, the warriors, that mentality and that mindset, huh? You didn't hear you didn't hear our warriors, our chiefs, our people who who did things in battle or did good things for their people. You didn't hear them say, oh, you know, I'm just uh, being humble. No, there's a difference between being a braggart and being somebody who is confident and um, able to say, yes, this is what I did. You, you, I don't know if, if so much at Fort Belknap they do this or how other tribes do it, but I know they do it. When you hear somebody count coup, they, uh, it's not, nothing humble about counting coup about something to say, I did this, I did this, I did this. It gave me, you know, I had good luck. I had success. I had all of this. I overcame something and it gives me the right to do this. Boom, whatever it is. So you think about it that way. Don't be, uh, no need to be humble. You be proud, but there's a way to be proud, huh? <laughs> mm-hmm. So totally, and that just even reminds me of you know, like you were saying about the life's blessings day. Like there was so much. It's hard to just define it. This learning experience because I learned too, and I it was very healing for me having just received my PhD and be able to work in community especially in community where my grandmother's from. And so being able to go there and have that time with you and um, 
all of that was just really powerful for me um, as a person, as an individual, not just like the the importance to maternal health and whatnot that we all did there. So I'll, I can't wait to talk more about that. And with that, let's have Margaret Ann, if you want to introduce yourself and kind of talk about kind of introduce Life's Blessings Day, if you would, after you introduce yourself. My name is Margaret Ann Adams, uh, formerly Yellow Kidney, formerly Gun. <laughs> uh, I'm Tilkotin, I'm Chilkotin, and I'm originally from Canada, British Columbia. And I've been in Browning on the Blackfeet Nation for 28 years, mm-hmm. since 1995. Anyways, and I am a nurse by profession and uh, have recently started working within the area of public health, was hired by an organization called Yarrow, and along with Mary Ellen and Amy, was able to coordinate this event that occurred in August, which I titled Life's Blessings. And it was with my work with Yarrow that we were able to come up with this concept, this event, because of the work that we're doing with the Montana Perinatal Quality Collaborative. This collaborative is in its third year. Through this collaborative, we invite uh, hospitals across Montana to participate in efforts to improve health outcomes for maternal child health. Last year, we had 19 of the 26 hospitals in the state participating with a focus on quality improvement as it relates to OB hemorrhage, hypertension in pregnancy, and this year we're doing sepsis in pregnancy as as a focus for improving protocols and improving the standards of care, what have you. Part of the Quality Collaborative is also to address health disparities in maternal child health. And within Montana, the first people of Montana have health disparities as it relates to maternal child health outcomes. And our efforts to uh, consider a method to address this as a whole system quality improvement focus was to bring people together to connect and to build authentic relationships. So that was the, the cornerstone, the impetus, the catalyst. Ooh, I don't know which one of it was, but, you know. Yeah, so, and uh, when we were, my one of my coworkers and I, we were uh, putting paper, pen to paper, uh, using the logic model, we started trying to, out loud, figure out what we wanted to achieve, what the outputs were. And we wanted to, we had also been fortunate to um, have a presentation from Dr. Amy Stiffarm during one of our learning sessions where she spoke of cultural safety. And uh, considering that um, presentation and uh, wanting to improve health disparities for Indigenous birthing people, 
we knew that we would have to call on the wisdom and the experience, the lived experience of an elder. And the first person I thought of was Mary Ellen. You know, Mary Ellen has, uh, in my time here in Browning, has uh, been a touch point for me, you know, through our, some of our work that we've done historically together. I believe you were the CEO. They didn't call I, it a CEO then. It was a, it was a humble service unit director. Oh, yeah. <laughs> service unit director. When I first came to the reservation yeah. and uh, worked for Kim DeRosier mm-hmm. in outpatient, that's when Sister Iva was here and those days. Then I went on to work at the Blackfeet Early Childhood Center, the Head Start mm-hmm. program here as the nurse there. And um, Mary Ellen also joined me there uh, when I worked with the perinatal populations on a continuum of early childhood services. And uh, we would invite all of the prenatal clients that had participated in our program to bring their newborns once every three months, once every four months, and we would have a welcoming ceremony. And Mary Ellen was like our hostess with the mostess. Hostess, yeah. And uh, we talked about naming and the importance of names and knowing the story behind names, especially when it comes to our infants. So, and celebrated our, our, our newest community members. Needless to say, once again, she was the first person I thought of to help you know, uh, give a historical context to improve not only the sensitivity, but the competency of the nurses that we invited to our community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you mentioned cultural safety and that those kind of three steps that I talk about is the first one being that cultural consciousness and you know, getting to know who you're serving, but also that historical context and that cultural context that like impacts health. You know, even indigenous people view health differently than than how Western medicine would define health. And I think it's also important to point out that, you know, one of the very first things that you did when planning this was you found an elder for guidance, you know, that, w- and that's just kind of what indigenous people do, right. Understanding that there's people with knowledge about this and, and not just the re- not just the respectful thing to do, but improving quality, I guess, too, of the experience. And that's not something that non non-native programs think to do. And I just, I don't know. It's just really nice how normal that is now for a lot of programs to trust the native expertise that they have on their staff to say, this is what needs to be done. And this is, this is what they're doing because without, you know, without Mary Ellen, this, it would have been, it wouldn't have had the magic that it did. You know, it was really powerful. And, and I think, because we had 
that foresight to know, okay, we're getting an elder, like this, we need an elder to help with this. I just think that's really important to note, especially for the listeners out there when they're wanting to work with tribes and, and, you know, have native staff and they advocate for including elders, like this is why. Yeah. So do you want to, or do you want to add anything to that? I would like to, I just want to say that it's this training and the, the whole idea of the life's blessing day. I, when Amy told us about it as a staff, I was so excited for so many reasons, but one of them I think is, you know, getting to know Amy and become her partner at work and her friend. Like I've, I've learned so much from you, Amy. And part of what I've learned is that there is a really different perspective and there, there is such valuable insight in working alongside communities and especially in talking to, you know, our indigenous people in Montana and going, going further than just trying to understand something on like a cerebral or intellectual level, you know, like there, I've heard you present your toolkit and your training and it is so important and I've learned so much. But when I think about going and experiencing the things that you're presenting, it's different, right? It's like this different kind of learning that is like body at the body level and at the emotional level. And that always has such an impact on how people retain information and how they incorporate it in their own lives and in the work that they do. It's just different. It's like next level type of education. I was listening to a podcast recently where they were talking about this distinction between learning something like it, like they gave like a car, for example, like you can learn all about a car, you can read in a text book, what it's like to drive a car, how the engine works, how the brakes are. But it's really different when you get into a car and you experience the feeling and the sensation of taking a sharp turn or having to slam on the brakes like you, everything becomes committed to memory in a different way. And when I think about people who have been wanting to learn how to do this work better with the people that they serve, I feel like what I heard about this day was having them come and be in the environment where ceremony is important, where all of these things matter to the way that you treat someone, especially when they're seeking health care during this vulnerable, vulnerable, special, sacred period of life. Like, I, I just think that there's no way you can learn that. I mean, there is, but not like this. You know, and I think it changed people. That's what I heard when you guys reported back. And I was so sad that I couldn't be there. But I just wanted to point that out because I think that it is it is part of why this was such a cool idea and part of why at HMHB and working with you, Amy, like to continue this work and have it spread and have it go to many more people. It's just really, really exciting in that way. So I just wanted to say that. Yeah, those are good points. And we, and we've, we, we had kind of that a similar conversation, like with the group and, and kind of going back to cultural safety, like the step two. So, and I can't, I'll let Morgan and explain a little bit 
more about like the process, but basically in order to sign up for this, people had to agree to take a cultural safety training with me. But really we just went over kind of step one, like that cultural consciousness part. And then step two for that cultural appraisal or assessment really where you start developing collaborative relationships with the people you're serving and and whatnot. So this was kind of, like you said, living, feeling um, this immersive experience with cultural safety. And then I really feel like that time with Mary Ellen that the nurses had, you know, that was really a time where they were able to really learn, like a deep dive learn about some cultural contexts and specific historical contexts that are specific to the Blackfeet community, which is, you know, what people need to be really thinking about, especially if they're at a clinic or hospital that serves a high amount of Blackfeet people, then that should be their intention is to learn about Blackfeet people. So this, this experience was so cool. And um, yeah, I'm just glad we're able to share about it. Yeah, maybe you guys could walk us through, like for people who don't know what all this entailed, maybe we could kind of go through like what it was like from the time the day started and some of the things that happened throughout the day. Because I know and we know, but people listening are like, this sounds cool, but I don't, it's kind of vague right now. So that might be helpful. Yeah, well, it was even before, it was even before the start of the day, you know, we had like first they had to apply. And so do you want to, do you want to talk about that? Sure. Uh, when I had mentioned that uh, we were kind of talking out uh, how we envisioned this day unfolding, Kirsten Crane and myself, I had s- shared earlier that, you know, the first person I thought about was Mary Ellen as uh, our, our knowledge holder and uh, our elder one of the other things that uh, we wanted to do was uh, in order to accomplish the first step in cultural safety, which is cultural consciousness, is like our reality here in Browning is um, if there is any type of a risk related to pregnancy and or labor and delivery, uh, they are transferred from our community to either Great Falls or Kalispell, and rarely, maybe even Missoula, depending on, you know, uh, some other reasons, but primarily they go to Great Falls or Kalispell. And if we wanted to begin addressing health disparities for Blackfeet birthing people, we wanted to invite labor and delivery nurses and NICU nurses to our community and making sure that it was a strength-based approach because our community has a lot to offer, but one of the things we do lack is a NICU or we would be able to, you know, keep our families together during this time when new life is being added to families. So I reached out to the directors of nursing in each of these facilities at Benefice and uh, Logan Health Kalispell and proposed to them the event 
and asks that they disseminate an application to labor and delivery and NICU nurses. And we even put a limit on how many they could in, you know, invite to apply because we wanted to make sure that as a pilot project with regards to community immersion, that we wanted to make sure that it didn't become like a group of people touring around Browning. You know what I mean? We wanted it intimate. We didn't want to be, you know, being a tourist guide or anything like that. So we had applications and the right number of uh, nurses applied and we we asked them why they would want to participate in such a project. And it was for a host of many good reasons. And I could probably even recount to you some of the reasons that they provided to us within their applications as to why they thought that, you know, this is something that they would be interested in doing. And so one of the nurses that participated is also a flight nurse. So if we are, we didn't even consider that, but what a wonderful, you know, what a wonderful opportunity for the flight nurse to, you know, come and visit our community. So the, our nurses expressed through their applications that they wanted to increase their cultural sensitivity. They wanted an increase in understanding about the needs of Blackfeet moms and babies. They wanted to know how to serve, better serve moms and babies. They wanted to form partnerships. They wanted to collaborate. They wanted to improve care. They wanted to improve health outcomes for Blackfeet moms and babies. And uh, they expressed gratitude, you know, anticipatory gratitude. They hadn't even got here yet. And they were already grateful for an opportunity to learn and grow. But mostly, again, you know, it might be true for all nurses, you know, another reason that they were interested in participating is service. They wanted to continue to better serve the Blackfeet community. I mean, that's that's incredible to me. Yeah. So they applied and then we told them that they uh, had to do a couple of things in order to, uh, prior to their visit here, they needed to participate in a virtual learning session and uh, receive the cultural safety training from Dr. Amy Stiffarm and uh, complete some worksheets as well as, as well as bring gifts. To speak to that is, um, a lot of uh, the reason why I'm here, I remain here in this community, is the level of acceptance and belonging that I have experienced. My children are Blackfeet enrolled, and uh, but it's through ceremony that has kept me rooted in this community. And I wanted to indirectly share that experience with the visiting nurses. So the level of acceptance that I've had through ceremony and even participating in ceremony with Mary Ellen, it is the giving and accepting of blessings and also giving and accepting of gifts. So I pictured the nurses going to different community programs 
where they would be, you know, in their work reaching out to as they are discharging Blackfeet moms and Blackfeet babies back here to Browning that they would be reaching out to. So when they cross that threshold and enter into that program, they learn about the efforts of those that they are trying to connect and provide provide continued support for those moms and babies as they're coming back here to Browning. As they're learning about those programs, that's they are receiving a gift. So I wanted them to in turn leave a gift, you know, as a way of honoring the time that we they were both spending together. And through these connections and our it's for the betterment of those that we serve. One of the things that I first thought about when when Margaret Ann said, you know, this is what I what I want them to do. And I just thought, oh, wow, that's pretty. Uh, I, I just didn't think she that that would work. I, I was wondering how she was going to do it, because that's not it's a it's an acceptable cultural practice. I you know, I understand I understand it to be able to explain it to somebody else who doesn't come from that perspective I think would be difficult for me but she was just very um, straightforward with it with with the nurses and I that was just something so new that I I um, I, I think it had a, an immediate impact on how the day was going to go we haven't hadn't even you know got there yet because it it put it put the Blackfeet people right here, just even with the outside healthcare professionals. Yeah. And I, I thought, oh, how is she going to do this? How do you explain that concept, number one? How do you get folks to kind of understand it and be able to participate that way? So I think that that whole concept was the very initial part of those individuals really participating and from a human to human level kind of thing. It wasn't like, um, oh, we're going to go see all the Indians in Browning, you know, that that trippy non-Indian attitude kind of thing of, oh, now I, you know, now I know, oh, I know those two little Indian women that in Browning, that kind of, you know, that's so prevalent in our state. You know, it's just like, Indians only exist for your enjoyment, maybe. I don't know. Anyway, that was a concept that was just very, it impressed me. I thought, boy, she can. And, and Margaret Ann has, a, has a, a gift for being able to explain and sit and listen and do all of that. That is really helpful. You know, she's already on the same level with, with the folks that she's working with, I, I believe. So they're going to accept things from her maybe without even uh, thinking about it. But that, that for me, even was put me in a situation or in a mindset that, yeah, these folks really want to understand. They really want to know about the people here and and the culture here and just how we are and, and all of that. So it could be just a little... Uh, it's going to be a really good use of time, you know, so that put some pressure on me too. So to, you know, you, you have to approach these folks like they're good friends, 
or, or something like that. And, and what I was thinking in my head was with, with them is, you know, hey, I know nurses. I've known nurses all my life. And, you know, they all have some shared things, whether they're Blackfeet nurses, nurses from wherever. They, they have things that they share with one another or as being nurses. And, and so that was my, my jumping off point where I felt really comfortable with them right away. And it felt like I didn't have to prove anything to them, in a, in a sense, because I knew what they were all about, and I was hoping they knew, uh, essentially, what I was all about. And I feel, <laughs> I remember saying one thing, and it, it's uh, unless you're a nurse, you don't really get it, I guess. But I made a made a joke about, uh, well, you know how doctors are, you know, they're always trying to get the the upper hand, and that battle continues, you know. Every nurse could relate to that, yeah, you know, <laughs> kind of thing. Well, I know that from experience and, and working in healthcare all the time. So it was just a really, uh, a real sharing of people, you know. And I, I think we got off to that good start right away. I, I can't remember if you got a, a follow-up from any of the folks that, that you took the nurses to, you know, like at yeah. WIC and all that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I haven't seen that, but I'm thinking I, I would really like to see what their their response was to that. Because on the whole, we don't get that kind of experience with non-natives or with groups or organizations or whatever. There's always that tug for who's got the say, who's got the control, and who's who's better here, you know? And that's just a fact of where we come from and how things have been in the state of Montana. And then being, in some sense, within Indian Health Service, kind of a state-of-the-art state hospital facility, it's like we're kind of looked at, I think, in Blackfeet as, oh, well... You know, if the Blackfeet like you, uh, you know, you can use that as leverage somewhere else. There's just, there's just always that tug that I feel when you're, you're working with non-Indians, uh, especially with government folks like the IHS or the state. Used to kind of be like that when you worked with this, you know, had to work with the school system because that was primarily non-Indian administration and, and all of that. But boy, that's changed in the last 10, 15 years, where you just have a whole different working relationship with your own people. And it, it makes it different. So I think overall, I thought the, the day was just really unusual for how Margaret Ann had set it up and how she, she did everything. Because the, the way they presented their gifts, you know, to, to folks was very appropriate. It was very... Uh, yeah, it was very culturally sensitive. And I'm sure that the people they met with felt that same way. It's like, oh, wow, had those, had those uh, ladies, those white ladies just giving me stuff for what I know. Nobody's ever done that before, which in a sense is true. You know, nobody's, for the people that work in, in programs, tribal programs, yeah, they takes a long time to build a relationship with somebody from the outside, so to speak. And we only had one day. Yeah. But that happened. That quickly. Uh, that quickly. Yeah. Because we were dealing, what would you say, heart-to-heart -heart kind of thing. 
on the same level, recognizing each other's abilities, strengths, uh, that sense of, oh, now I found out how how to be a better neighbor or better something. You know, I've always, a lot of them said, you know, I was always afraid to come to Browning. Why? What were you afraid of? They really didn't know for sure, but they just knew that there was a fear there because they didn't understand what it was all about or um, maybe they'd had a bad incident with an Indian in their hospital or something. And then, you know, there's some Indian people that just like to keep that going. I didn't come up to Browning, you know, and, and try to be at good or whatever. And I'm, I'm sure they feel that in some sense. Um, it, it does seem really foreign to people who, who've never come and have no reason to be around here or on any other reservation. And you look how close all of the tribes are to a medical facility that is so necessary for them. It's amazing that there isn't more connection or more interaction with, with just it, within healthcare, you know, mm-hmm. for sure. Since then, I guess I, I think, boy, it would be nice to to have the same kind of day with, you know, you think about, oh, we'll talk about Harlem and Fort Belknap because that's where Amy's from. But their folks go to Haver and Rocky Boy probably for anything that their clinics can't take care of, which is, you know, different from our hospital because we have a hospital. So they're going to have even more interaction with three tribes, actually, two from Fort Belknap, two from Rocky Boy, four, actually. And they've had kind of a, that's been kind of a rocky road with the folks around, you know. I, I don't think those nurses are are going to be able to not talk about that experience to say, oh, you know, we went to Browning yesterday and da-da-da-da-da. Th- their coworkers are going to say, oh, really? What happened? Oh, how come you were up there? Did you get stopped by the police? Were you just driving through? Or did somebody, you know, jumping out of the uh, onto the highway and keep you there? Or, you know, who knows what goes through people's minds sometimes about, about Indians and Indian reservations and what they've heard and all of that. So that whole thing is going to be talked about. And it'll be talked about in a very positive, humanistic way, I think. And that's going to make other people kind of wonder, oh, I wonder, gee, are they going to have another one like that or whatever? And hopefully there will be something. But I thought, you know, Haver uh, would be an ideal place to have a similar thing like that. And I'm already thinking about you know, people that that I know in, in Fort Belknap that would be a real, that would be excellent consultants and would really know what to share and how to share with these folks. And, and part of that comes from going to college at the University of Montana in the time that I did. You just make contacts because at that time, all the tribes were having a surge in people going off to school and going to college. It was the early, early days of, of the Indian Club there and, and all of that, and then bringing people together for a conference there in Missoula. That was way back in the 70s, early 70s, late 69, actually. I, I date myself. But anyway, so you have, you have connections with, I feel like I have connections with all of those folks because you, you went to school with them, you you knew them, and then as people graduated and went to work, more than not, they went back to their home reservations 
to their their own tribes, or they married somebody from another tribe and went to their their tribal group or whatever. Um, and it's a real solid network, if you will. And they networked with the state, and they networked with folks out of buildings because that's where IHS is headquartered and all that. So you get a good, you just get a good idea of what's going on in Indian country. That's where that expression comes from. Indian country is wherever there's Indians. Now you've got more folks in Great Falls with the Little Shell Tribe being acknowledged and recognized as a federal tribe. U of M has a huge, or the West Side, I'll say has a huge native population starting from Kalispell all the way down into Missoula and, and around there. Billings, same way, you know, there's a lot of a lot of Indians there. Haver, Great Falls, all the bigger places. So then people say, well they're not from the reservation. You know, that we we know that they're just you know, they live down here and they all live at the Salvation Army place, you know, that kind of thing. So you got a whole different set of stereotypes and things to deal with. And mostly, I, I would assume, a lot of the the people that you see in the urban settings maybe are going to have a whole different set of, of issues in healthcare, simply because they're not on the reservation. So this whole day just became a, a way of starting something that... Um, just planted seeds in a lot of minds, I think. Yeah. Um, both in those facilities, amongst the nurses, and the nurses will one up the doctors because they'll know more than <laughs> than they they yeah. do, kind of thing. But it was yeah, it was a real, and it just started because in my mind, it started because Margaret Ann took it from a whole cultural point right off the get go, right off the get go from the way she approached me to be part of it, which was, again, a culturally appropriate or sensitive, um, to how she had those participants come in and, and essentially learn something culturally that they can apply everywhere else, which they do anyway. You know, we always have a, a significant exchange, don't we, when we're learning? Um, maybe we don't pay the professor's salary, but sometimes maybe we do through... Um, consultant fee or whatever so there's a reciprocity reciprocity that was the word I learned from all that it was good yeah it was because of Mary Ellen you know initially we thought you know when we were a big step in this is it is envisioning it but when we were first thinking about this uh, we were thinking that we would host the beginning of the day we wanted to have an opening circle and a closing circle we wanted to have an entrance survey and an excerpt survey. So not only did the nurses uh, need to participate in some cultural safety training, they also had to complete an entrance survey. And um, after the day's event, they also had to complete an exit survey. We wanted to try to, if we could, measure their experience. And we started the. We were planning to start the day at the East Glacier Women's Center. It's a little building up in East Glacier, just so that they we had a starting point. And then Mary Ellen said, "Well, why don't we um, see if we can't use the ceremony room at the college? You know, it's right here in the community." And I thought, "Yeah, why? Good thought. Let's do it." So things kind of snowball and. 
in a good way. And uh, so we were able to secure the ceremony room. It's a round room. It's like a teepee. It's like a teepee. It's got like the designs on the inside kind of uh, are like those of a teepee liner. Also, I was thinking like, you know, I wanted to bring the nurses to meet with the different programs that they're going to doing the discharge referrals to. I couldn't see the programs coming to see us because, you know, they might be late if they're busy at work, you know, and we'd be sitting there with nothing to do. And that didn't make sense to me. So that's where I limited the participation in a sense so that we could, you know, not be too disruptive of the programs as they're doing their work, you know. So we arranged for there to be uh, transport and we were able to secure sun tours and we got a little bus and everybody fit okay in that bus and we were uh, together and we could like, you know, debrief and, you know, kind of do on the spot debriefing after visiting each of the programs. So that worked out really well. And the one of the first things I thought of is like, well, you know, we're going to be spending the day together. The first thing I thought of was like, where are we going to have lunch? You know, where could we sit this many folks and, you know, share a meal together? Because that's really important, you know, for me and for all of us, I think, whether native or non-native, you know, culturally just to share, share food together. So I thought of immediately the Black Peter Lay Childhood Center and their multi-purpose room and them having a prenatal program that continues, you know. Uh, to this day. And so I started approaching the different programs and they were the first programs that I approached and they were saying um, they were welcoming. They they were excited about the idea, you know. They work with prenatal clients and oftentimes moms are transferred to Kalispell or Great Falls to have their babies, oftentimes leaving behind family, you know, maybe younger children or young children and their supports. But the nurses were going to leave their big organizations, these non-native nurses, for the most part, they were thinking and coming back and meeting them and learning about the services that and the good things that we're doing here in the community. And they were very proud to put that out there, to have something really um, different, unique, and successful to share with with the nurses. I, I think that kind of came across, especially at Head Start. You know, mm-hmm. that, was, that was cool. Yeah. We have a strong grand, grandparent presence at Blackfeet Early Childhood Center. Very strong grandparent presence. So obviously we wanted to make, make available... Uh, some time to be spent at Blackfeet Community Hospital as well, IHS. They were the biggest organization that we were going to be bringing the nurses to. You know, women's health care, OBGYN, and and midwives. They refer our community members to Benefis and uh, Logan Health Kalispell, you know, for a host of different reasons. So it was important to make sure that they were able to participate you know, that our nurses that were visiting us from these larger urban settings were able to meet with the Women's Health Clinic staff. And um, so 
After that, uh, our next uh, stop along the way was the Southern Pagan Health Center. They are a federally qualified health clinic, health center, and they provide primary care services. We also, they also have two school-based programs, one here in Browning and the other one in Hart Butte, and they have a satellite clinic down in Seville, a community on the reservation that's closer to Cup Bank. Um, so we were able to secure a visit with them. And I think I even got a little bit ahead of myself, you know, before I even started approaching the community programs, I had first needed to speak to uh, tribal council, our, our leadership here on the reservation. I was able to secure some time to speak to Mr. Lyle Rutherford. He's the HES committee chairman, HES standing for Health, Education and Social Services. Uh, as a council Councilman, Blackfeet Tribal Councilman, that's the committee that he oversees. He provides oversight to that area of business on the reservation. And he was happy and gladly supported this event of life blessings, knowing that the nurses within these larger urban settings also serve, share in service uh, with some of the community programs that are here on the reservation. So I got uh, his endorsement, uh, if you will. And then I uh, also approached the Blackfeet Tribal Health Director, Garland Stiffarm, and also explained to him the intent of the uh, Life Blessings event and secured his uh, approval to move forward with organizing and coordinating this event. So with that support from leadership, uh, was able to, you know, begin more in-depth and detailed planning. We went to Blackfeet Community Hospital first, Southern Pagan Health Center second, and then we went to the Tribal Health Improvement Program where we were able to meet with that pro- program, THIP. And then we were already having lunch. And then we had two more programs to, in speaking of THIP, uh, Tribal Health Improvement Program, they do some primary care. They have a lot of nurses on staff where they can do case management, care navigation, but they also provide transportation. So if a kiddo is needing services after being discharged from NICU, specialty services that are not available on the reservation, they can transport our infant to those urban specialists, bring them there to their appointments. We had lunch, which was very, very special. And uh, we were able to secure a caterer right here on the reservation. And we had uh, buffalo. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Right? And some... Berries. Was it berries? There was some some sort of a berry sauce. and, And then we had some pan bread was very good. We made plans to visit with the Women, Infants, and Children's Program, WIC. And then last but not least is uh, our last uh, stop was at the Blackfeet Child and Family Services Program, which is now a part of Child Protective Services. And then we closed our day at BCC, Blackfeet Community College, and that was really moving and powerful. Yeah, it was I think like in hearing both of you talk about this, it 
think from an indigenous mindset, it's just like how things are done. But when we're working with like funders or maybe programs, like we kind of have to describe it or spell it out, you know, which is always like, I catch myself like having to explain things that I've never had to explain before. And I'm like, wait, okay, well, how would I say that? Or, you know, and it is just kind of, it's just kind of a, a funny thing, but more and more that I'm in this kind of work, it's like not, I, I feel like the people I work with a lot with anyway, it's not, it's not so much like I have to defend or, you know, I'm just more, I just have to explain what I mean and what I, what it, the importance of it and whatnot. And, and programs are like, Oh yeah. Or like, like that makes sense. I mean, from a programmatic perspective, there's, there could have been ways to like just do a cultural safety training with these nurses or something, you know, have them on zoom, recommend them a book or, or whatever, but to immerse them in this experience, it had to be indigenous led. And the really gold pieces of that came from people with an indigenous worldview and it involved bringing them to community. And I think what Mary Ellen said about being equal to, you know, having that, that gift, like you're honoring, you're valuing this time with them, such a simple concept, but it hasn't, has never really been that way. And so being able to do this project with those like indigenous values of that reciprocity, humility, coming to community, having time with an elder, visiting programs, sharing a meal together, like you said, Margaret Ann, those were real, in a, in a way they seem simple, but they were so powerful. And all the way home that day, like me and my boss, Steph, when we were driving back to Helena, I just kept saying, I can't believe that just happened. I can't believe we just did that. Like that actually happened. And for me, like I'm always like pushing strength based and really trying to help people see the strengths and to witness it unfold that way and to hear to see the tribal programs be proud of the work that they're doing, to have them list off all the different programs that they were doing, you know, it really, it really contradicts that what you hear about native communities, right? Like what, what you might read about that we don't have anything or that we lack all these resources, but here we're showing all these nurses that the Blackfeet community cares about their mothers and their babies and they do a lot for them and the nurses got to not just see that not just hear about it but feel that it just gives me chills like thinking about it to this day so yeah i'm with you Marielle, and i hope that we can do it you know continue work with blackfeet but also like help other help other reservations highlight their strengths to the surrounding areas and get people into their community so that, you know, we can kind of unite in, in knowing that we all just want the best for moms and babies. Yeah. And they made it, they made it really clear, you know, when we were wrapping up our day that, you know, something else needs to happen. This isn't just like a one and done, you know, kind of uh, experience. Everybody truly wanted to make sure that this was a, if we're going to 
say that we're forming relationships, you don't just, you know, meet somebody and never, you know, cross paths with them again. That's not a relationship, you know. So in honor of, you know, them taking a day away from their own community and um, work, I'd like to definitely explore how we can maintain these relationships because things are always evolving and whatnot. I know one thing that will more than likely happen because of this experience and, and visiting early Head Start for the time we did is there's our ability to reconnect with with that program to do, again, some of the things that Margaret Ann was talking about earlier that used to happen a while ago and, and just haven't been there for a while. So I sensed and and actually talked with some of the folks there in their in their prenatal program to see if we can get some things going again, like the welcoming ceremony and things like that 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 would help them. They're they're very anxious to do that, and and it's kind of a thing that it doesn't cost any money, in a sense. It's easy to put together because the people you invite, the new moms or the moms with new children or however. They're the ones who do all the whatever, you know, for it. They're they're the ones who share their experience, who talk and, and are the you know, they're basically the, the players in all of it. And all the all Margaret Ann or I would have to do or somebody from Head Start is just kind of facilitate, which is something probably they would do anyway. So um, again, that's another a reminder to us that, like you say, some things are so simple we just don't even think how how much of an impact they could have. So we, I think we can not reconstruct, but revitalize, revitalize, and continue some things that again uh, call on us to have build relationships with with folks. Mm-hmm. Um, this is we do have plans to have other community immersion programs um, in uh, on other tribal nations amongst other tribes to have a similar experience. So um, it's very still, you know, no pun intended in its infancy, but it is something that we are, uh, are working towards. So it was an amazing day. Mary Ellen made this an amazing day. It was an amazing day for me. And I was able to witness, uh, uh, amazing events. And, um, yeah, I'm just really excited. It just seems like, you know, there's no mistakes in life, you know, coming to this community from another country, if you will, not, you know, it's another country. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, uh, just being able to uh, create a space, a safe space for us to, um, you know, to connect and to make meaningful connections in that way was, mm-hmm. I'm just, I just feel very fortunate. There's no, no mistake that I have yeah. shared my blessings. Yeah. <laughs> so one, one more thing that you can do, Amy, when you're introducing yourself and giving all your credentials is you can call yourself by your Pikani name, Mountain Butterfly. Yeah, that was, that was something that, um, 
you know, getting all these degrees and <laughs> different things like walking across that stage, getting that diploma, that's one honor, you know, but when we were at Head Start, they were talking about how the elders used to name the babies there. And so we were just talking about it and, you know, do you, do you have in the name? And, you know, I was like, yeah, it's nice thing. My cousin, my cousin's husband showed up there and I know he, you know, he's very cultural man. And so they were asking, you know, do you have in the name? And I said, yeah, I got, I, I was named after my grandma, Amy chief goes out chief stick. I got her English name and she wanted to give me her Cree name. And I got that at the Rocky boy Sundance. And so we were talking about that and we, you know, I was just, I think I was just excited about yeah all the all the activities and Mary Ellen and Kevin Kicking Woman stood up and had me stand up and God, I just got so emotional. But they, you know, Mary Ellen asked Kevin to give me a Blackfeet name, Bukani name, and that was that felt like even better than any diploma. I just felt like because that's what I wanted to do always was get my education to help communities, to help tribal communities. And my grandma was from there. My dad went to high school there and, and all of that. So Browning's always had a special place in my heart. But now, you know, I really feel like a different sense of belonging and and, and accountability too, you know, to, to community and to continuing this work. And so that was pretty... More like responsibility. Yes, responsibility and that's what that's what this is all about you know like we we talked so much about what the nurses got out of it you know but this is really for the community yes the community um for the moms and babies for those for that blessing of new life and it's just sometimes speechless talking about um this so i i just really I'm grateful for the both of you for one, helping with this event, helping make it so special, um, sharing your knowledge, your expertise to make it happen. But then just coming on to the podcast to share with our listeners so they can hear a little bit about the magic just means a lot to me. So I thank you. Thank you both so much. Thank you as well. Thank you. Mother Love is hosted by Healthy Mothers, Healthy Babies, the Montana Coalition, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the health and well-being of families who are expecting or raising little ones. Opinions and views expressed in these interviews do not necessarily represent the views of HMHB as an organization. We sincerely value the lived experiences shared on Mother Love, and we understand that not everyone will agree with or relate to all of what is shared. Mother Love exists to help our guests and listeners honor and embrace their own stories and experiences. If the content in this episode has caused you concern or distress, please reach out to someone you trust for support. Speaking up about our struggles is half the battle, sometimes more than half, and there are many providers who can and want to help. Visit our statewide online resource guide at www.hmhb-lifts.org to help you find resources in your area. Thank you to our incredible editor and producer, Brooke Boone Miller, for sharing her gifts with us. She's a mom and she gets it, and for that we are so grateful.